Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. We talk with musicians about music making and the creative process. My name, as always, is Mike, and today we talk with Nashville-based artist Britt Taylor, who released an excellent album just recently called Kentucky Blue. Britt was an absolute delight to talk with. I enjoyed hearing about how she worked with the amazing Sturgill Simpson on this record. Sturgill is a big favorite here. The most striking part of this discussion to me was Britt talking about how her song ideas come to her. Britt has a muse, and the muse gifts her with words, melodies, ideas. Britt has worked hard at her craft, learning to work with these ideas, turning them into wonderfully creative songs. But listen to her describe how certain songs have come to her, and how she feels this muse first made its appearance when she wrote her first song as a youngster. It is fascinating, and she has such a positive spirit about her work. It is really great to hear a creative person talk about their craft this way. Little side note, you know there is still time to sign up for my monthly email newsletter called Hey, How's It Going? The Newsletter. It is free, highly entertaining, filled with recommendations and music-related musings, and did I mention that it is free? Sign up at tellyouwhatpodcast.com website or drop me a line at tellyouwhatpodcast at gmail.com. Quick shout out to Neil Dahlgren at Eclipse Music Group for making this great episode happen. Really appreciate your help once again. And now please enjoy this Tell You What discussion with Britt Taylor. Hey, Britt Taylor, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Sure, I do appreciate your time. I know you are busy because I looked at your tour schedule yesterday and one week <laughs> one week from tonight, you will be appearing on the Grand Old Opry stage. How about that, right? It's crazy. That's still so strange to even hear. I feel like it hasn't <laughs> even set in yet. I don't know if it ever will. <laughs> That's a, the big dream for yeah. all young artists moving to Nashville. Play the Grand Old Congratulations. Opera. I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll be awesome. Thank you. Let's back up a bit. I want to talk about your younger days. I know you started singing at a young age. Did you have a musical family? Uh, what got you singing in the first place? I do not have a musical family. <laughs> My okay. mom and dad, they do not sing. They don't play. They're not artsy at all. Um, they're not like creatives. Sure. Uh, so I don't know what happened to me. I don't know if I got switched at the hospital. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just, uh, I don't know. I, I was born with a strange uh, muse. Yeah, I feel like it was a divine intervention kind of thing. I was obviously meant to do this because it doesn't make any sense it's not in my genes but I did grow up in an area which I also think is divine intervention I grew up in an area where they really appreciate and love country music and they love to help and inspire kids that want to play and sing country music um so that's how I got started in it all I feel like being born into the family I was born into had I've been born anywhere else in the world. I don't know if this would have been my life path. Because there were other people in your community that encouraged you. Yeah, and my parents were encouraging, but I don't think they would have known any better in another area. Yeah. So how did you end up 
finding your first opportunity to sing then? Um, so there's this place in Prestonsburg, Kentucky. If you haven't been, I highly recommend you go. There's not a lot in that area, but it's absolutely beautiful. And there's a place called the Mountain Arts Center. And the lady that, you know, got all this state funding and, and everything to help build this beautiful theater, her name was Billie Jean Osborne, and she created the Kentucky Opry. Okay. And so... um the Kentucky Opry played there every summer season, kind of like something you'd see in Branson, um, like a touristy thing. And it was hopping when I was a kid. People would come from all over and tour buses and, you know, when the East Kentucky economy was thriving quite a bit more. Um, those shows used to sell out when I was a kid every summer, um, every winter. But they had... Um, a kids program that opened the show for the actual Kentucky Opry. And that's what I did. So I was in the Kentucky Opry junior pros and I started when I was seven playing mm. with a, a band and it was all kids and it was the coolest way to grow up. It's crazy to think about it now because it seems so normal, but as I've gotten older, that, that was not a normal, that's not something that happens everywhere. So were you out on the stage like four or five nights a week in the summertime? Um, we played usually either on, sometimes we play on Fridays and Saturdays. If one sold out, they'd add another show. Okay. And then the Christmas shows were the big deal around home. Everybody came to the Christmas shows. The schools would come. Um, so we'd have Friday, Saturday, and then we'd do a matinee on Sunday and a Sunday evening show. And were you playing the guitar or just singing at this point? You know, I didn't learn to play guitar until I think my senior year of high school, and it was because my vocal coach at the Opry, at the Kentucky Opry, <laughs> I was playing piano, and he said, let me tell you something, what are you going to do when you get to Nashville? you going to pack that piano around? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know. And, and he said, listen, you ain't going to make it in that town unless you've learned to play guitar. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he was always just real blunt. I love him for it, and I'm <laughs> grateful. Uh, but he's a tough love kind of guy. But I begged my mom to take me to get a guitar because I was, you know, just determined. And so we went and got one uh, really, really awful, awful shitty uh, guitar. Yeah. Because um, like I said, my mom and dad knew nothing about guitars. And so they were like, well, I got $100 and that's all you're going to get. <laughs> um, and you got to get your guitar. And all I was concerned about was the color of it because I didn't know anything about sound or anything so i found a 150 dollar epiphone and uh i told it was too much obviously and i told that guy and i said listen i'll sing you anything you want to hear if i can just buy this guitar and he said well what do you know and and i said well what do you know you can play it i don't know how to play yet and he said well what about landslide by stevie nicks and i sat go. in that store and sang that song for him and got me a guitar <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah, <laughs> but you had been playing the piano before that, and accompanying yeah. your and accompanying yourself. Yeah, I I don't know if I ever played the piano on the Opry. Mostly, I just sang, but I was learn you know taking lessons and and yeah. learning to play and writing songs on the piano. When did you start writing songs? Uh, my first song fell out of the sky when I was thirteen. Wow. Yeah. Do you still know it? I do, and I'll never it. I'll never forget that day it, because I feel like that was the day my life really changed, and hmm. um, I was emotional because I'd had a little boyfriend and he broke up with me, and I this song just poured out of me, and it 
and it was crazy because it was like a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus and we had a bridge and a chorus. It was like I wow. just instinctively from singing so many covers and the Opry kind of knew how to write a song. Right. And um, I never considered myself a writer. I was not good at school. I hated school. Just did had no interest. Wasn't good at it. Didn't get good grades no matter how hard I tried. And so I just thought I'd, you know, I'd never be a writer. Um, and that song didn't feel like I was writing it. It felt like something else was. And it still, to this day, feels like something else is doing it. That's interesting. You say you felt like it changed your life in the sense that you were now a songwriter? Yeah, the muse had hit. Like, there yeah. was, a, like, I don't know, an angel, a muse, something, something, like, came into my life then that hasn't left since. So before that... You were singing. Did you envision, I realize you're 12 years old or 13 at this time, but did you envision <laughs> a career as a singer before that? Was that where you headed to the stage one way or another? Oh, yeah. I don't think I'd ever envisioned anything else. I mean, I think most little girls my age were, you know, dreaming about having families and getting married and white dresses. And hell, all I ever wanted to do was play the Opry. <laughs> yeah. But now it's happening. Yeah, I know. So now you write a song when you're 13. Do you now start continuing to write and think of yourself differently because now you are a writer and not a singer? Yeah, and and it still felt very effortless. It, it never felt like I was going to go and try and write a song. They just kept falling out of the sky. Yeah. Um, I know that sounds so silly, but that's that's really how it just, that's how it started and how it still happens for me they just kind of come out of nowhere when i'm gardening or when i'm you know blowing the leaves off the driveway or doing some kind of mindless task this song will just hit me yeah that's great sometimes i'm like did i steal this is this this exist somewhere <laughs> else because it comes so clearly but I, sometimes i'll have to get on google and make sure I like have i heard this like <laughs> yeah right so so how do you think of yourself now do, when you think of yourself as an artist do you consider yourself a songwriter first, a singer-songwriter? How do you see the picture that is yourself? I think for me, it's all just bundled up together. I can't yeah. imagine being just a singer or just a writer. It, it's all just, to me, it's just one thing and being an artist. I'm, I do hope that, you know, artists will other artists will see me as a writer and then want to record my songs, and I'm never above recording another artists you know songs and other songwriters songs um one of my favorite artists in the world patty loveless she i think she cut a couple songs she wrote but most of those were written by costas and jim lauderdale and all these incredible songwriters that were you know just songwriters then and uh i think that you know being an artist is picking you know the best songs that you could pick that you relate to and that you you that make you feel something and I I I look forward to being able to be a song hound too and get out there yeah. and find some of the the best songs there are because there there are a lot of great songs in the, in in this town in Nashville. There sure are. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a job. So people keep writing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So now we're gonna we're gonna continue our our travels. You come to Nashville pretty young. For college, I believe, but also maybe to, to see if you can make it in the business? Yeah, I was 17, and the only way my parents were going to support me coming here and continue talking to me and <laughs> not disown me. 
was, you know, if I went to college. So I went to MTSU and I got a degree in music business. And my last year uh, of school, I went through the summers and everything. Like I said, I did, I just wasn't good at school. I didn't like it. I was just, it was a means to an end for me. Like I had to go to make my parents happy and it was fun and I learned a lot, but I went through the summers, one, because I didn't want to go to Kentucky back home. I wanted to stay here. And then two, you could finish a whole semester in one month of a class because you just go every day. So I'm like, I'd rather do that than, you know. So I graduated like a year early and not because I was any smarter than anybody else. But you worked harder than everybody else. (laughs) Maybe. I'm sure I worked pretty hard. I've Went to classes uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'd, I'd jumble them all up into two days so that way I could drive to Nashville and write songs on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Wow. So I started co-writing. But uh, Yeah, so we're, I want to get to that. You had a publishing deal in Nashville for a little bit. This was during college and, and after, I'm assuming, based on what you've told me. Yeah, that. so the last year of college, I needed like a, an elective. And so I saw they were offering songwriting classes. And Hal Newman uh, was my teacher. And he just, he was so supportive that he was like, well, this internship is only for songwriters, songwriting majors, but you need this internship. I'm going to help you get it. And it was Mm. an intern where you just, you did half business and half songwriting. So I got an internship at this place called Cal Four Music Publishing, and they were forced to listen to my songs because that was my internship. <laughs> they couldn't fire you. Yeah, so I did cataloging and stuff and business stuff for them, and then you know they listened to my songs every now and then, and that's how it started. And three years after that internship, they offered uh, me a deal. Wow. I mean, that's a reason to have gone to college, right? Right there. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I understand you didn't find that publishing deal situation to be the right fit for you, but I'd like to talk about it for a minute if we can. First, can you explain for our listeners what it means to have a contract like this, a, a publishing deal as a Nashville songwriter? What is actually involved in that? Yeah. So. Man, there's so much involved in it. It's, I mean, pages and pages and pages of contracts worth involved in it. But I'll try to give you the the breakdown. Um, Okay. So a publishing deal is where you, this company pays you a draw, which is technically not a salary. It's, they call it a draw because you do have to pay it back on any future royalties, on any future money that you're going to make from those songs that goes back towards whatever they paid you. So technically it's a no interest loan that advance. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if you don't ever make it or whatever, and you're out of your deal, you know, you don't ever have to pay that back. It's kind of just, you know, if nothing ever happens, nothing ever happens. So, but it's awesome for a young songwriter because you're finally getting paid to write songs. You have a team of people who are setting you up with co-writes that you probably wouldn't have gotten on your own. Um, so it was it was awesome. I was twenty. How old was I? Twenty three when I signed, or twenty two? Yeah. So I was very young and very impressionable. And uh, I was in a band 
that was the, at a time when women weren't on the radio at all. Like, if you think it's bad now, rewind yeah. back to 2013. It was horrible. We're talking about contemporary country radio. Yeah, no women, like none. Um, so they were like, "Do you? what do you think about being in a band? And we had talked about a couple of different people and to be in a band with. And I was like, well, I don't know these people. What about, like? these guys and I introduced them to two of my best friends and uh, they ended up signing them to a deal too so they signed the three of us to a publishing deal and a um what what do you even call those deals it was like a 360 artist uh, deal. yeah artist deal where they managed and produced us so it was an interesting thing. And, of course, I was 22, so I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Sweet, Where do cool, I sign? fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not two best friends. Like, this is right. going to be awesome. And it was. It was really great for, for a really long time. And, but it just, um, and it was so much fun. Like, we had a hell of a time. And I wouldn't honestly take it back for nothing. I want to take a step back to the to the songwriting under the, the way that, the deal worked, you would go in to an office and sit down with different writers every day and try and come up with a song. Yeah. That they would set you up with. Yes. And I was kind of already doing that before I ever had a deal. I right. had been doing that since I moved to town, just setting up my own co-writes. Okay. But in this case, whatever you came up with went to that publishing house. Oh, yeah. Whether it was terrible or great, it right. <laughs> you had to send it in. <laughs> Okay, so eventually you realized this role wasn't working for you. Yeah, the band fell apart. One of one of my best friends he started having kids, and and just his values, you know, changed, which is completely normal. And we had been banging at record doors, record label doors, and begging and pleading, and it just it wasn't working. We came real close once, and a label had called us in for a meeting, and. And this, you know, Nashville's like real big on beats. I don't know if they, like, I don't know. Record label people just don't hear acoustics anymore. It's very mm. strange. So I remember asking my publisher, like, do we need to bring, like, some tracks or, like, a beatbox or, like, because, you know, if we go in there with a mandolin and a dobro and a guitar, I don't know if these guys are going to get it. And yeah. he was like, no, 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 they'll get it. And they've already heard the, the EP and they love it. And like they're calling for the meeting. It's going to go great. And man, we thought we all had it in the hat. And we get there. I'm on a mandolin. And the other guys were on dobro and guitar. And we play our first song. We play our hearts out, man. And my heart is just beating so fast. And the record label exec looks at me and he said, well, is this like mountain music? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I like could feel my blood boiling and I was like, well, I am from East Kentucky and Matt is from South Carolina. So, yes, Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, what do you mean mountain music? Anyways, he, he was uh, very unimpressed brutal. and I was yeah. like, daggone, I knew we should have brought that beatbox. <laughs> oh, wow. But what about the... Just the songwriting aspect of it itself, aside from trying to get your band to break, the writing for other people as part of a publishing deal, writing for Nashville, I should say, right? Yeah, um, we did some of 
of that, but most of it was just focusing on trying to write for the band. And okay. then if that, you know, if it ended up being a good pitch, they would also pitch it. So I think I had a song on hold with, I don't know, an artist for like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say. Um, right. Anyways, this big artist had my song on hold for six months ah. and didn't cut it. Yeah. So had a lot of those. Well, how do you see the difference between writing for yourself now and the the writing you were doing then? Well, then, for one, I didn't know who I was. I was 23, and, you know, I have all these people around me wanting to make me and my band a star, and uh, all of these different opinions of, like, hey, did you hear this new girl that just popped off? Do you hear what she's doing? Like, maybe you guys try to do something like that. Or maybe yeah. you all sound a little more like... So it's just... And Nashville is just that town. You can't get away. I'm dealing with it now. Like, sure. making records and stuff, and... It's tough because I I do want to be a people pleaser. I don't want to be hard-headed or not open-minded. Like, I do want to be open-minded. But I also know that I need to stay in my ground for my own art, and that is so hard in Nashville. And I know Sturgill's even, like, had trouble with that because when we, the day we finished tracking, he was like, we were talking about who was going to master the record, and we both agreed that it would be Richard Dodd and... And I was like, do we want to let anybody hear it first? And he said, hell no. Uh, If we let everybody hear it, they're going to think that they have a right to their own opinions about it. This record's (laughs) done. And I was like, that's the most profound thing I've ever heard. Like, I just learned the biggest lesson of my life in Nashville to this point. (laughs) Well, we're going to get back to Sturgill in a few minutes. I would like to talk about your creative process for a second, if we can. You talked about coming up with ideas while you're out walking, gardening, that kind of thing. Do you have a a regular practice? Do you have a discipline where you sit down and try and write? Or do you wait for those ideas to come to you? Both. So I have write scheduled all week. So I go in and write a song whether or not the muse is there or not. Um, So you have co-writes scheduled on a regular basis? Yeah, yeah. And normally... It's like you can't force a muse. Like you can't like it either shows up or it doesn't. Um, which is just such a strange concept, I know, but yeah, you just don't know when it's gonna show up. And normally I just when it does show up, I will put those ideas in my phone in the notes yeah. and I will just stop and write until it's gone, until it's just not there anymore. And then I'll go back and figure out how to craft it more. Okay. Um, so now it's more like when I was a kid, it would I would just write when the muse showed up and that was it. But now, like, I'm trying to I've learned how to craft a song and how to take those emotions and really try to make art rather than just, you know, emotions on a piece of paper. Yeah. So when you say you, you have an idea and you put it into your phone, are these lyrics, lyrics with melodies? Are you sometimes singing them into your phone or what? what is the? Usually both. Yeah. Yeah, they'll come with melody. <laughs> so you'll sing it into your phone. Yeah. Let's talk about the co-writing process now. Um, you said you have co-writes scheduled. Let's talk about how one of these song projects comes together. You get in a room with someone, you have these ideas on your phone, and you bring some of them up, I'm guessing. In one session, say an afternoon session, are you hoping to come up with the bulk of one complete song oh yeah we we normally finish a song that day that that's 
it's not very often that I leave without a song finished. And sometimes, sometimes you do, but sometimes, you know, songwriting's a lot like dating. I mean, there has to be a chemistry between the people in the room. And if there's not, there's really not much hope. I think that's why you see, you know, these writing cliques in Nashville that are very successful together. And it's because the chemistry is obviously so good. Right. But then sometimes at my Adam, my husband, Adam Chaffins, will write with Adam Wright and we'll write two songs, you know, in a three, four hour session. Yeah. So when you get together with these regular writes, are you circling around the same people or is, are you always finding new people to write with then? Both. I'm always excited to write with new people, especially new young artists. But um, when I'm really, you know, focusing on me and my ideas, I'll hoard back ideas for myself. (laughs) And then I'll find uh, the people that I want to write them with, you know, like Adam Wright and my husband or uh, Pat McLaughlin. Um, Yeah, some ideas, as soon as I hear them, I know who I need to call to write them with. Oh, okay. Because it seems to me that that to co-write, there's a certain amount of trust involved in this process, like putting your ideas, your truths out there. And just, I've never done it. So it seems interesting to me that you could get to that point with basically a stranger in one afternoon where you're willing to trust them with these ideas, these emotions of your your own. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a hardcore, like, therapy session. (laughs) With complete strangers. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you do these co-writes, do you tend to come up with the same type of contributions? Are you stronger in one area or another, like lyrics or choruses or melodies, or does it just vary depending upon the song and who you're working with? It varies on the day. It varies what the the you know the muse brings to the table, and you know what everybody else is bringing to the table, and they all got their own muses, and yeah, it just depends on. Uh, it depends on the day. Yeah. I want to talk about this great new album you just put out, Kentucky Blue. But you were able to work on this record with the, both the legendary David Ferguson, maybe best known for his work with Johnny Cash, as well as Sturgill Simpson. Kind of a dream team, yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Sturgill's known for stretching or maybe more accurately in his own music, ignoring the boundaries around country music. I'm guessing this was maybe one reason you were excited to work with him? Oh, yeah. That's definitely one. There's a million reasons. I mean, he's just, he's so talented. He's so brave. And he's not afraid to go against the grain of, you know, the norm. And I just really admire and respect that. So, Can you talk about maybe something you took from that entire process of working with Sturgill, anything specific that maybe you will bring with you uh, when you work on future projects? Oh, definitely. I mean, just like I said, you know, earlier, him not wanting anybody to hear the the project until it was mastered, done, finished, this is it. And just very much like this is our project and um, I don't know how many times that I, I've even asked him for advice on which songs to leave out of the record because we cut 12 and it was so hard to pick which songs to leave out. And uh, I asked him, I don't know how many times and every time his answer was, this is your record. What mm. songs do you want to leave out? I mean, it just inspired me to, to 
be to make my own decisions and to be confident in them, which I'm not always. And so it was good to be around that. I, I remember my husband, uh, I don't remember what we were talking about, but it was, he said it'd do me good. It's, he said, it's going to do you good being around Sturgill. Maybe you'll, you know, stand up for yourself or something <laughs> like that. Or maybe you'll tell people to go to hell. Like, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, maybe, man. I don't know. <laughs> That's great. I'd like to talk about some specific songs, and with Sturgill in mind, I'd like to hear you talk about the song, If You Don't Want to Love Me. This is one where I maybe hear some of his Sturgill sonic influence, like the organ, the guitar tones, the slightly distorted background vocals. Um, It's also an example of the varied sounds and vibes on the different tracks on this album, which I think is great. So did this interesting sound come together in the studio, or did you have an idea it would sound kind of funky when you wrote it? Oh, yeah. If you listen to the work tape, the little cell phone memo, it's so crazy we still call them work tapes, but uh, the cell phone (laughs) memo of uh, If You Don't Want to Love Me is very funky. Like, it just lends itself to that, um, to that type of sound. And and so the band just, like, they just caught on so easy because they they listened to that little acoustic uh, voice memo and then just went into the studio and nailed it. Well, I think I'll take to drinking, maybe do a little dancing too. Bake someone else my biscuits, let them try my gravy too. It's alright. If you don't want to love me, if you don't want this honey, then go. Did I read that part way through right around the recording of this record? You did get married. You mentioned your husband, Adam. Mm-hmm. He sings on this record. He does. We I went into the session on, we recorded August 26th, 27th, 28th, and Adam and I left on the 29th for Taos, New Mexico, and got married on the 1st. That's great. <laughs> it was, it's the most surreal week of my yeah. entire life. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good five days. Yeah. <laughs> but at that, so that would be his voice we hear on that track, if you don't want to love me, kind of the, the yep. vocals in the background. That's great. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about another one, Rich Little Girls. This sounds to me like maybe the statement song on the album, one that really comes from your personal truth. I think you did a great job with taking maybe a somewhat common sentiment, life is tough for working people, and you really infuse it with your own take. You can really hear your voice in the lyrics on this. Uh, Along those lines, I'm not sure if this was deliberate, but the lyrical nod to Dolly's 9 to 5 song, I think, is a great touch. (laughs) I think it's really great. Um, What can you tell us about this song? Yeah, um, I started a cleaning business when I quit my first publishing deal. Um, I'd actually read a book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and she had said something about sometimes that when you're getting paid for your art, it can change how you make your art. Right. And I knew that that was happening for me, that I was just listening to too many voices of who and how and what I needed to be and look like and do. And I just had to 
to quit. And so I started doing <laughs> cleaning toilets and floors uh, for money so I could figure out who I was. And it's crazy the people that I met following that because I met a lot of people that were also putting out their independent records like Lauren Morrow, whom I adore. Her and her husband paint houses and that's how they fund their recording projects. And then Meg McCree was waiting tables and like my story is not unique. We're all out here busting our butts trying to pay our dues. <laughs> That's what everybody told me when I first moved to town. You have to learn to pay your dues. You have to pay your dues. But they literally meant you have to pay with money yeah. your dues because when you're an independent, you have to figure out how to pay for PR. And it is not cheap. You have to pay for the artwork on your record. And if you want it to look good, it ain't cheap. And and clothing and vinyl is so expensive to front the money for that kind of stuff. It's expensive. And so we're out there just busting our butts because we love it. I mean, even to go on tour um, puts a lot of baby acts like that's what I'm, I'm considered a baby act. Lauren's a baby act. Um, it puts us in the hole most of the time because yeah. after we pay for the gas or we pay our band, the hotel rooms, we're often not making any money. We're out money. And so that was rich little girl. <laughs> that's where it came from because I was writing songs going straight to cleaning a church and then going on tour. And I'm thinking I need more business so I can do a photo shoot or I need to go clean five more houses so I can do this for music. And so, yeah, that is my statement song. That song is my, my, my truth for sure. Well, everybody plays with the cards they're dealt. Everybody's got to work it out for their and I wouldn't want to be anybody else but a working girl Nine to five, honey, I wish more like 24-7 The only days off that I'm gonna get are when I get to heaven We heard about Rich Little Girls. Now I want to talk about what maybe is the bookend song to this, the, the opening track, Cabin in the Woods. Right, it's kind of the flip side, perhaps. Here you're saying that maybe the simple life suits you fine. The rich girls can have their fun over there, but you have your your cabin in the woods, and you're very happy. This is one of the songs where we hear the traditional Appalachian sounds. Also, the great fiddle on this song. But I want to ask you this question: On your previous record, you had songs that were written maybe during a rougher stretch in your life. This, this album has some more upbeat songs, like this Cabin song, for example. So with this song in mind, can you talk about the difference from a creative process standpoint in writing the more upbeat, happier love songs versus the ones that are focused maybe on struggles and heartache? Easier, harder, different in some way? It's, it's, a, it's the muse. It's just... Yeah. It's just I mean, Cabin in the Woods fell out of the sky just like, you know, some of those songs on my, my first record. Um, I was putting on my makeup. I'll never forget. I was putting on my makeup, standing in front of the mirror, and I just started singing, I got a cabin in the woods, does my soul so good. And uh, I just started singing it, and it just I put it in my phone, and... I called one of my favorite writers, Jason White, and I was like, man, I got a good idea for a song. Can you can you write with me? That was just how... It's not any easier, and it's not any... 
any harder, really. You make it all sound so easy. It's just, <laughs> it's just, you know, I'm, I just was in a good mood and the yeah. melody hit me. <laughs> I got an old dog sitting on the porch. He lays there all night by the tiki torch. His legs are worn out, but his heart's still good at my cabin. With me. Most of the people I have on here describe the tortuous process of trying to come up with songs, and it's nice to hear someone who feels that these songs are gifted. Yeah, I mean, they don't always, it doesn't always happen. So I'm talking about songs where obviously the muse was there and it happened right. and they got on the record. Now, now lately, like, the co- my co-writes for in the last like two weeks have been really rough because I I've been so busy that I haven't had any time to do any mindless task like garden or mm. so I I'm out of ideas <laughs> so I am going to my co-writes with hopes and prayers that somebody else else's muse is working because mine ain't <laughs> it's just <laughs> I am dry as a bone right now so. And, but they always come back. It used to really, really, really scare me um, that I would never get another idea, that it's just gone, that it's never coming back. And I've learned that it'll come back in due time. And sometimes that means that I'm just a little out of balance, that mm. I need to figure out um, how to get it back. And, I, and usually that's just a little sunshine and some kind of mindless task that I enjoy. Yeah. So you do actually have a cabin in the woods, so to speak, right? You you have a place out in the country a little bit? Uh-huh. We're just right outside of Nashville. And uh, it's just a little old cabin, and it's uh, tucked back up in the woods. We don't have a ton of land, but got around three acres, and it's all wooded. And it's just, it makes you feel like it's a lot more. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. There's just something... There's something about it. Even all our friends, when they come out here to pick and, and we always cook, we love feeding people. We're both from East Kentucky, and that's just something you do when you're from East Kentucky. You feed anybody that comes through your door. I'm going to have to go visit soon, then. Yeah, well, we got some good food over here at the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But there's something magical about being out here. I have an important question about the cabin. Mm-hmm. Is it true you have donkeys on your property? <laughs> I do, and I'm so glad they're not out there hollering right now because I gave them some hay to keep them from hollering because they are loud. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard a donkey holler. If you ain't, get on YouTube and look one up because they're, it's <laughs> hilarious. But we've got two miniature donkeys, Sis and Molly. We have five pygmy goats, little miniature goats. We have Memphis, Dolly, Tammy, Amy Lou Harris and Linda Ronstadt. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a bunch of chickens, and I quit naming the chickens because chickens just die for no reason all the time. Yeah. So then they're the no-name chickens. <laughs> and uh, three dogs and a three-legged cat. That's great. I saw, not on this record, but on a previous record, you recorded a version of the song, I Go to Pieces, right? Which was... Mm-hmm. Made famous in the 60s by Peter and Gordon, a British invasion duo. I found that an interesting choice. Can you tell us what drew you to that song and maybe what it says about 
what influences you musically that are outside the country tradition, maybe? Yeah, my my daddy. He loves the oldies, 50s, 60s, doo-wop music. Um, my mom loves the 80s. Dad liked the 80s, too, but we would go on family vacations to Myrtle Beach when I was a kid. And I would sit in the front seat with my dad because I was his co-pilot. And mom would sleep in the back with my brother. And me and dad would just listen to oldies. And uh, he it's my favorite story to tell. He says he looked over at me and I was crying. And there was a Sam Cooke song on. I mean, I was probably five years old. Too, too young to know much about lyrics. And I was crying and he said, baby, what's wrong? And I said, dad... Why won't his baby come back? And it was Sam Cooke singing, my baby's gone, my baby's left. And my daddy <laughs> called me baby. So in my head, I thought that, you know, this guy's daughter's gone. And I was like, why won't his baby come back, daddy? Uh. And just crying to this song. But we would just, just love, I love to listen to oldies with my dad. And Go to Pieces was one of those songs. And I just thought we could make it um, kind of country, kind of, you know, Lynn Anderson uh, style country and it was really fun to do in the studio i don't think many people have heard that one it's kind of uh not been played as much as some of the other songs but i still love it i tell my arms they'll hold someone new another love that will be true but they don't listen they don't sing oldies or other influences i want to we got time to talk about one more song i want to talk about the song for a night when i first heard the song and the strings and everything i was kind of thinking about the old country politan sounds of the 60s but then i listened again i this is this is giving me some gloria Gaynor vibes right some, <laughs> some some shimmy dance music i think it is great that you went with these varying sounds on the record how did you end up with i guess the disco grooves on this one yeah, I've been calling it Hillbilly Disco. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wrote that song with Pat McLaughlin and Cliff Audridge. It was so much fun. And I almost didn't put it in the Dropbox that I was sending to Sturgill and Ferg because I thought it was too pop. I was yeah. like, they won't like this. And f that whole time I was thinking of songs to send them, Four Night would not get out of my head. I mean, I was singing it all the time. It was stuck in my head. It's all I could think about and sing. And so I was like, okay, well, I think that's a sign. Like, I'm just going to put it in there, and then they can tell me it's too pop. <laughs> and uh, Sergio loved it. Sergio yeah. and Fergus. I think it's Ferg's favorite track on the that the record. I'm so glad we put that song on the record. It reminds me of the Bee Gees, and I love the Bee Gees. And um, like I said, listening to all the oldies music with my dad, it just... It's part of my personality. It's part of me and, and the music that I love. And I'm glad that it made the record. I confess to the feeling And it's feeling Kind of nice I can't guess what you think 
taken up almost as much of your time as we can, Britt, but I have one more question. <laughs> yeah. Is it true that you practice the martial arts? Yes. <laughs> I am a second degree black belt in Shaolin, and I have studied Pakwa, Tai Chi, and modern artists. Wow. Can you draw any parallels or find any ways that the discipline of martial arts helps your creative life? Oh, definitely. Just the, the discipline of going to the co-rights. And, you know, working through uh, learning how to craft a song even when the muse is not there. Um, And just sticking, just being tough and sticking Nashville out. I mean, I feel like a smart person would have left a long time ago. (laughs) 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 But I'm still here. And I think it's just the, I think that discipline is everything. Yes. Well, you are more than still here. You are headed to the Opry next week. Great, Taylor. (laughs) I'm so excited. Yeah, so thanks so much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your taking the time. And I looked at your tour schedule. You need to come up to Chicago sometime. We have country music fans up here. I would love to. I'm I'm hoping to make (laughs) it to everywhere. I'm just ready to go everywhere. (laughs) Well, we'll be here waiting. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) 